This is the Amor al Migrante podcast, Love for the Migrant, a project of diocesan migrant and refugee services in El Paso, Texas. Hello and welcome to the Amor al Migrante or Love for the Migrant podcast. This is a new podcast. This is actually episode number one. So welcome. My name is Sandra Ramirez and I work here at DMRS. I am joined today by Melissa Lopez. She is the executive director at DMRS. Melissa, thank you for taking the time to do this today. Thank you so much, Sandra. Um, I'm really glad that we're going to be doing this podcast Moving forward, I think it's a really important opportunity, especially since the radio show isn't available anymore for us to get out information about our work, what we do, and anything immigration related that we want the community to know about. Yes, we're definitely hoping this will be a very informative podcast for those who have an interest in immigration issues. Also here with us today is Anna Hay. She is the Deputy Director at DMRS. Hi, Anna. Hi there. Uh, I'm really glad to be here today. Um, it's a beautiful day in El Paso, and I'm glad to be part of this broadcast. Fantastic. The purpose of this podcast is to talk about what is happening with immigration and the way things have been unfolding. Things seem to be happening every single day. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with everything that's happening or even make sense of everything that we see in the news. And one of the things that's going on right now is the thousands of Afghan evacuees and military bases across the United States. That's including right down the road here at Fort Bliss. And we can confirm that DMRS is providing some services at Fort Bliss. So, Melissa, you and Anna both work together to get this program started, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what we're seeing at Fort Bliss in a moment because, Anna, you've been spending a lot of time there. Um, but first, Melissa, can you talk about what it takes to coordinate an effort like this, and what are the services that are being offered at Fort Bliss? Sure. So the effort at Fort Bliss is is a pretty massive undertaking. It is one of the largest bases for the Afghan evacuees um, in the country. It's also, you know, El Paso is, is very remote. Um, generally speaking, you know, the, we don't have the largest airport. It's difficult to get here. And so there's um, a lot that goes into trying to coordinate, you know, people that can go out and provide services. And so what we've had to do is deploy staff from our office in order to meet the need right now while we try to staff up and find those individuals that can go out to Fort Bliss and do this work. Um, we expect it to continue for months, and so it's a big project, one that we're excited about, um, but one that's going to take a lot of resources, both in terms of coordination, um, and then Anna can talk more about this, but the facility itself is ginormous. Um, and so we have, you know, our team is spread out throughout the facility, and so it's Um, it's a big undertaking, but we're excited to be able to, to hopefully make a difference for, for the Afghan evacuees. Okay. And so Anna, this is where you come in. You've been out at Fort Bliss nearly every single day for several weeks now. Um, just describe, walk us through what a typical day looks like for you out there. One of the most important things that we're doing out there is ensuring that, um, the Afghans that have arrived without a permanent status and parole status, Uh, which is just a lawful entry, um, is essentially all that the parole grants them, um, it, that they know that their uh, immigration applications still need to be filed because um, there's a lot of mis misinformation being spread 
at the bases from Afghans, I believe, that don't that aren't aware. And so many of them, um, some of them expect that a green card is just going to be mailed to them, and that is not that's not how our system works. They have to apply, they have to be, uh, they have to be determined to qualify, and then they will be permitted to um, to get a green card. But at the time being, we don't have a, a method for people who are not special immigrants to um, to go into the adjustment of status process, which is what results in a green card. So um, for those people, it's really important for us to explain to them that they need to continue their cases because the parole is limited, it's time limited for them. And um, the government has given them two years for the most part, a few had one year at the very beginning. But um, so my typical day includes going and doing legal presentations, explaining to uh, the Afghans that they have responsibilities beyond um, beyond what they've done so far, that they will need to uh, file applications in order to ensure that they get a permanent status before their parole is, is uh, you know, finished. And they'll either have to re-parole or ask, um, or ask, either ask for an extension of their parole or they will have to uh, leave the country. So it's really important given the circumstances in Afghanistan, it's really important that they uh, know their options and they know that there is uh, more required of them where they end up when they get resettled, that they're going to need to continue. Uh, the Afghans are not detained, they are guests of the base. And we are working, I, I understand that many of the NGOs that are out there are working furiously trying to uh, ramp up their resettlement operations to address the need. Um, as many will recall, uh, in 2017 and 2018, um, there were decisions made by the administration that reduce the number of refugees coming into the United States. And as a result of that, many of the agencies that served um, refugees and were receiving funding based on the number of refugees they served had to close their operations. And that has made it so that there's many agencies, the few agencies that did not have to close are overwhelmed with the need that is currently, they're currently facing. So the need sounds extremely urgent. Um, and so we've seen coverage where there's some frustration, there's some desperation from the Afghans who are at the military bases across the United States. Tell me about the people that you're speaking to at Fort Bliss, um, what they have told you, what their experience has been like and how they're feeling still being there. Um, many of them have uh, indicated they have a lot of concerns about their family members that did not make it out on the evacuation flights. And the administration has communicated with the public that uh, they are not done, um, you know, bringing um, Afghans and, and Americans and lawful permanent residents who may have been left behind. Um, they're not done evacuating them. But there is no uh, real explanation as to how that's going to move forward, given the Taliban's, you know, overtaking of, of the uh, government operations there. Uh, for many of them, they're worried about their family members because their um, cooperation with the U.S. government may put their family members in jeopardy. Um, and so they're, they're, their concern right now is getting their, their family members out of harm's way. Um, so that's, that's been a real concern for many of them. Um, additionally, many would like to uh, begin their lives but something that was pointed out to me uh, by one of the interpreters that I've been fortunate to work with um, is that uh, he, he himself is 39 years old. And he said to me yesterday, uh, I'm 39 years old. Uh, he's from Afghanistan. And he has not known a day without war in his country. So many of the people that were serving out there 
that's all they know. And so um, these are these are issues that we need to we need to recognize because uh, helping them to resettle and to um, accustom themselves to our normal you know daily life here in the United States is going to be an endeavor in itself. And for that reason, it's difficult to say go ahead and leave without the support of the um, refugee resettlement agencies because um, the, the need is overwhelming right now. So, um, so that that's kind of where we're stuck, right? We're stuck. Uh, we, the government and all of the NGOs there would love to be able to just resettle everybody right away, but the need is the need is extraordinary and the resources are limited. So um, mostly that's what I'm hearing is frustration about still being there, um, and I try to explain to people this is why and and this is what um, because when a when an Afghan goes through the resettlement agency, they will be assigned a caseworker who will meet them at the airport when they arrive who will direct them to where they're going uh, for their new housing, um, where they, you know, will help them to uh, find classes for English language um, learning. Uh, they will help them to locate job opportunities. Um, so there's this, this information and, um, and education is invaluable to their success in the United States. And the last thing we want is for them to leave out of frustration and then have uh, regrets because they aren't, they aren't receiving the support they need in the place they end up. So when you mentioned the work that goes into assigning a caseworker to them and that they're meeting with them on an individual basis for their individual situation, and we're talking about tens of thousands of Afghan evacuees who are getting this individualized attention, that kind of gives some context to those delays and yes. why this process exactly. may take so long. Exactly. And that coupled with the reduction in the number of refugee resettlement agencies is kind of a perfect storm for this delay. And that's what I was going to say is that, unfortunately, you know, under the Trump administration, many refugee resettlement agencies, including the one here at DMRS, were closed because the numbers of refugees allowed into the country went from about 125,000 to 12,000. And so we had so many agencies that shut down. And now you have agencies that very quickly have to staff up, have to be ready to receive people um, when they you know, may not have had any staff at all working. So it's it's a very large undertaking in order to get refugee resettlement agencies that are going to be able to receive these individuals. And then also there's a very complex process about how they, what we call allocate people, essentially how they assign people to certain sites. Um, you know, people indicate where they want to go, but they also need to make sure that they have the resources in those places to be able to support the the um, the evacuees when they arrive. So you don't want to, you know, inundate a city with Afghan evacuees and then have no language services available to them, or you don't have anybody to help them enroll their kids in school, and then they're getting in trouble with local government because their kids aren't attending school. So there's all, it's a very complex situation. And then housing is a big one. Resettlement agencies really do find housing often for for um, refugees. And so it's very important. The housing piece is huge. If you don't have somewhere to live, can't really uh, function well. So it, it's a very complex situation, and and it became even more complex by the, the sheer numbers that we're seeing in a very short period of time. And when we talk about how complex this situation is, even the legal component alone is 
super complicated because every person, every evacuee may be in a different situation and may have a different benefit, right? So what are the different benefits that might be available to some of these evacuees? Um, Well, many of them will will qualify as special immigrants um, based on their service to, in a professional capacity to the U.S. government while we were in Afghanistan. Um, They have to be able to prove that they uh, worked for the U.S. government for one year. Um, And then there's letters of recommendation they have to get if it was a contractor or or directly from the U.S. government and the Army specifically. Um, If they're not able to obtain those documents, which is uh, the case in some of the cases because, you know, leaving Afghanistan was so um, um, traumatic, the whole uh, airport scenes that all of us saw have um, it made it very difficult. In some cases, we even heard of people or have heard from people that they destroyed their own passports because they did not want the Taliban to be able to identify them. So as they were you know, scrambling to get out of the country, they were worried that the Taliban, who had then um, been a presence at the airport or near the airport, was going to stop them and realize who they were and then do harm to them for their work with the government. Um, wow. So for that reason, they... Um, Many of them, those basic documents that um, are going to be necessary for them to continue with their immigration case are not going to be, they're going to be difficult for them to find. We don't have an embassy there anymore, you know, because of the, because of this whole, all this turmoil. Um, and that's normally where, we, where they would go for that. And we do have some uh, consulates here in the United States. Um, and, but I also foresee that that will be an overwhelming need um, is to replace documents that were lost. And then also there's uh, been some concern because some of the U.S. contractors that were there that they um, that worked with these Afghans, many of them worked, you know, we were there for 20 years. So many of them worked in 2005, 2010. You know, this is 10 years ago. And some of those contractors are no longer in existence. So they don't even know who to contact to prove their employment and get the letters of recommendation that are required in order to qualify for the special immigrant. Um, uh, designation to be able to apply for adjustment of status here in the United States to get a green card. So the issues are just compounding on yes, multiple yes multiple levels. Yes, they are. And then in addition to that, you also have people that are going to have to apply for asylum. I mean, we talk about asylum on the border and how difficult it is constantly. And um, unfortunately, we are going to have, you know, people having to go through this process. And so, um, you know, it's complicated for those that are that have the opportunity to apply for special immigrant uh, visa holder status. It's even more complicated for those applying for asylum because for all the reasons that Anna mentioned, but also because in an asylum case, you're required to provide proof of the things that you are saying happened. Um, you're required to provide proof of your identity. And so if you were one of those people that destroyed your passport, you may be in a position where you have difficulty proving who you are to, you know, to an asylum officer. So it, it's a very, very complicated, um, complicated process. And, you know, the, I think what makes it even more difficult is just the sheer volume Um, you know, we're going to do our best to help as much as we can, but the reality is, is that there are far more people that need assistance than there are us. Um, and back on that same issue, this is requiring a lot of resources, not only financial, because that's a whole different beast there itself, but, um, it requires people manpower to help, um, processes and help inform people. And so DMRS, we have put out an urgent call for volunteers to help these Afghan evacuees at Fort Bliss. 
What type of work would they be doing? If, if someone signs up to volunteer, what type of work would they be doing at Fort Bliss? They would be helping us to, um, to present to, these, uh, to the Afghans that are interested in their legal options. Um, and we do a, a simple presentation uh, with translators uh, helping in both Dari and Pashto. Um, and the, um, there's not a really a special skill required to do these tasks, except for that uh, you would have to be able to um, you know, use a computer comfortably, um, be able to um, communicate clearly. Uh, and, um, and then there's also going to be, there's a need for assistance with donations. Donations, as I understand it, have been organized by the military, but actually um, getting the donations from the military to the Afghans is that we need, we need volunteers there too. And so um, if you don't have administrative skills, but you're interested in volunteering, that's where we could use your assistance. Perfect. And you can find more information about becoming a volunteer um, on our website, uh, www.dmrs-ep.org. Um, we've also listed information specifically uh, specifically for volunteering at Fort Bliss, as well as a general volunteer if there are other areas that you would like to um, offer your services for. Melissa and Ed, I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this podcast today. This is the Amor Migrante Love for the Migrant podcast. We hope this was informative for those of you listening. If there are other immigration topics that you would like us to talk about on this podcast, you can always send us an email. The email address is info at dmrs-ep.org. Thank you very much. I'm excited. We hope to be able to give out a lot of great information and, and really get um, some support for this project and other projects that we're working on through this podcast. Yes. So looking forward to it. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Please subscribe to the Amor al Migrante podcast to be alerted when there is a new episode. Visit www.dmrs-ep.org to support the work Diocesan Migrant and Refugee Services is doing on the border.